Hey, school counselor friends. Are you looking to take your counseling program to the next level? Well, we have some exciting news for you. The Perks School Counselor Content Club membership. And guess what? For a limited time only, you can get half off our yearly membership or even try us for a special $99 six-month deal. But hurry, this is our Black Friday deal and it's only good until November 29th. So what exactly do you get with the Perks School Counselor Content Club membership anyway? Well, let me tell you, you get instant access to all of the Perks. That means you'll have access to the full library of lessons, groups, individual curriculum, games, decor, and everyday resources too. It's like having a treasure trove of counseling materials right at your fingertips. But that's not all because Perks membership also offers professional development that can earn you college credit. Yes, you heard me right. You'll be able to enhance your skills while earning credits towards professional growth. And here's an extra treat for you and your students, bonus seasonal resources that they'll absolutely love. It's the perfect way to keep your counseling sessions fresh and engaging throughout the year. But the best part, the Perk School Counselor Content Club membership gives you the freedom to really enjoy your job. No more spending countless hours planning lessons, groups, and individual counseling sessions. With the perks, you'll have everything you need to work smarter and not harder. So why wait? Take advantage of this Black Friday deal now and get your instant access to all our lesson plans, groups, and tier three resources. Plus the templates you need for building your counseling systems, access to our private Facebook community, live webinars, and questions and answers with me and Brandy, as well as all the downloadable materials that you can use right away. So don't miss out on this opportunity to elevate your counseling program. Once again, it's half off our yearly membership or a special $99 six month membership. But remember, this offer is only valid until November 29th. So visit our website today or check the show notes and join the perks. Your students deserve the best and so do you. You're listening to the Counselor Chat Podcast, a show for school counselors looking for easy to implement strategies, how-to tips, collaboration, and a little spark of joy. I'm Carol Miller, your host. I'm a full-time school counselor and the face behind Counseling Essentials. I'm all about creating simplified systems, data-driven practices, and using creative approaches to engage students. If you're looking for a little inspiration to help you make a big impact on student growth and success, you're in the right place because we're better together. Ready to chat? Let's dive in. And welcome everyone to the Counselor Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Carol, and with me today, I have Nancy Willard. Now, Nancy is a former special special educator, and she's here with us today to talk about her project, the Civility Project. I think I have that right. Nancy, (laughs) you want to jump in there? Hi there. It's so great to be here. Yes, I was a special education teacher of children with emotional challenges, and then left that, became an attorney, started working in digital safety. That shifted over to um, bullying prevention. And I still focus on bullying prevention. And because bullying is a form of trauma, um, I have been um, engrossed in all of the research and guidance related to trauma. So I wrote the first book that was ever published on cyberbullying back in 2007. That was a bit early in the time frame. And I've just recently published three books, one for school leaders and counselors, which is Engage Students to Embrace Civility. This is a very robust, comprehensive book on all of the research on bullying prevention and positive school climate. Um, And then two books for young people, Be Positively Powerful, Resilient When Things Get Tough, which is more appropriate at the intermediate grade levels. And then Be Positively Powerful, A Teen's Guide to Achieving Resilience and Empowerment. And I have two websites, but the one I would direct you to is BePositivelyPowerful.com. And that will link over to my other website. Awesome. Great. So what I can do for everyone, too, just so that they know, is I will get those um 
addresses from you, those web addresses, and I will link those into the show notes. So that if people want to visit you and check everything out, that they are certainly free to. I would love that. And um, I'll give a special offer to anyone who comes over from you for the parent courses. I will give them a free um, coupon so they can review them. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are really here today because I saw one of your posts in the Facebook group talking about your new um, Facebook group for embracing civility. And then you started talking about tacos (laughs) Not like the tacos that you eat, but tacos, and I was really intrigued. So really what I'm hoping is that you can kind of explain tacos to everyone and really what school counselors can do to, I guess, embrace civility. Think about this as also how to talk with classified staff and teachers on how to deal with the issues of students who are dysregulating. So first of all, we need to understand what parts of the brain are involved in this dysregulation process. And there are four. The amygdala and the hippocampus are both lower brain activities. And the AC cortex and the, is the midbrain and prefrontal cortex is the higher brain. Uh, The other thing that we need to understand is that neurons create synapses or neural pathways, and those neural pathways guide how we respond, our our thinking and our behaviors when in certain situations. Our brain naturally focuses on bad things. The reason for that is survival. I mean, if a caveman didn't pay attention to signs of the saber-toothed tiger around, that would kind of be the end of a sad story. So the memories of those bad things are stored in the hippocampus. And that includes all situations that involve trauma and toxic stress. Those memories are just stuck in there. The typical responses are stored in the neural pathways. Uh, and those responses can also be when you've when a student has experienced trauma or toxic stress, um, those typical responses can include hypervigilance and overreactivity. So we have to understand the role that these two parts of the brain play whenever there's a triggering event. Um, That triggering, what happens is, and I'm not sure which responds first, the hippocampus or the amygdala, but mm, they say, uh, the hippocampus says uh, memory of past danger and the amygdala says, I'm not safe. Now this reaction can be profoundly fast. Think of this, um, think of the um, return veteran who has PTSD, and how they respond to a loud noise. The, you know, the, uh, the hippocampus is saying, loud noise, danger. The amygdala is saying, I'm not safe. Boom, they've triggered. This is also what I think happens so frequently in school, is something little happens. Something to our, from our perspective is, is minor, But because the student has these bad memories stored in their hippocampus, it causes them to feel unsafe. And it triggers their neural pathways to respond in their typical manner, which is getting upset. And the other thing that happens when the hippocampus and amygdala have responded is there's an increase in blood flow increase in respiration, increase in cortisol, and increase in adrenaline. They are preparing, the body is preparing itself for fight or flight. And the uh, both the AC cortex and the prefrontal cortex are disconnected. Now, there's actually a biological reason for that related to that saber-toothed tiger. Um, and that is that the brain doesn't want to take the time to think things through if they've got to get away from that tiger. 
so um, what we need to understand is the wonderful process of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the brain can change. We can help young people add more good memories to their hippocampus, which will reduce the potential that they are going to trigger. And we can help them create new neural pathways to support more positive thoughts and actions. Um, and the term I like to use is social emotional growth mindset. Now, I love the work of Carol Dweck on mindset, but so much of that, it really focuses on academic growth. I, th I think we need to have a, actually, I've named it separately. This is in my book, Engage Students to Embrace Civility, social emotional growth mindset. That means that just because I usually trigger and overreact, I have the ability to change. Now, I might not have figured that out yet. We love the word yet when we're talking about growth mindset, but I have the ability to change and, and grow. So, right. That's all our resiliency. Yeah, that is yeah. all resiliency. Okay. So the next thing we need to understand, and this is what all staff working with young people need to understand, is that there's a life cycle of, of, of a triggering event that leads to an outburst. And I've seen various forms of this. The one that I include, and have actually used various words in different books, so I maybe I'm not totally consistent, but is that you're calm, there's a trigger, the, the anxiety builds to an outburst, and then there's a decrease and regain calm again. So what the point that we really need to focus on is before and right after a student has triggered if we can help them gain greater insight and greater skills to know how to respond, to predict that they're going to trigger, or know how to respond immediately when they have triggered so that they can keep their AC cortex and their prefrontal cortex engaged, then we can essentially flatten the curve. We wanna go calm, trigger, regulate, calm. So um, if they have triggered and if they're going into build, there is one thing and one, one priority only. They don't feel safe. And, and so what the entire focus has to be on supporting this child to be safe. Now we get to tacos. We got through the appetizers. Now we're at tacos. Okay. Um, now, taco is a term that I learned someplace online and it's brilliant. And I have lost the citation and I have searched and searched for it because I'd like to honor whoever came up with this brilliant idea. And I have been unable to find it. So, tacos is what we don't want. TACO stands for T, threat. If you don't calm down right now, you're going to be taken to the office. Um, A is arguments. C, and I can't remember what the original C was, but C could include criticism, coercion, or commands. So, you know, you have two choices. Calm down right now or someone will um, remove you from class. O is orders. Lose control again and, you know, get your life in order. And S, oh, S is shaming or sarcasm. Um, yeah, well, you should be able to do better than that. Um, what are you doing? All of those kinds of things. Now. Any use of one of those elements of a taco is going to create greater feelings of danger and lack of safety. So last year, 
I um, went, uh, there was such a need for substitutes and I was doing a variety of things, but I had time to substitute. And so I signed up to substitute in a, in a district. And I am sad to say, I saw so many, way too many examples of, of tacos. Um, and this was from both teachers and um, classified aides. I saw a, a child who was <clears throat> dysregulated and the teacher had blocked her into the corner with some um, uh, physical room pieces and was yelling at her to calm down. Um, uh, another situation where a child had um, become dysregulated through some chairs down, was sitting under the desk and the um, aide was standing up there. She was being calm, but she was saying, you have two choices. You can either, uh, anyway, you know, it was it was basically not safe um, for the child. And, and every single situation was a kid using, or, or was the staff member engaging in one of the tacos. So what do we need to do instead? I'm not letting you jump in and ask questions. <laughs> so I'm listening. So, you know, I think it's really true. We have, I think, all these situations in schools where kids do become dysregulated and they do start having, you know, emotional meltdowns or the, maybe they are becoming unsafe to themselves or to others. And then the adult in the room just doesn't know how to respond in a way that helps to calm the, the student down. Right. And, and, and that is, um, there are three things that I want to see improved. And that's my goal through this uh, podcast with you and with the course that I want to um, create. One is how do you respond when they are just about to trigger or have triggered and it's blown if they're at outburst level? How can you respond in a way that communicates you are safe, that will allow them to calm down? The second is what steps can you take in prevention so that the next time they trigger, they might not explode quite so much. They're able to better self-regulate. And then the third is, what do you do in response? Do you punish them? Um, so we we need to we need to talk about that also. Okay, so when a child is triggering, when it's building, or even in the outburst, your response has to communicate you are safe. And the very first thing that you have to do as the adult in the situation, and trust me, I have failed. Um, in this, um, I haven't gotten this behavior consistent yet. Um, but when you fail, you have to look back and say, oh, hmm, I didn't handle that very well. I learned what I shouldn't do. That is social emotional growth mindset. Uh, the failure, I failed. I need to evaluate why I failed and realize that I just haven't gotten everything down effectively yet. Okay, so the first thing that every adult has to do is realize they need to stay in control of their behavior. They need to have a calm body, supportive face, any movements, arm movements need to be slow and non-threatening. Um, it is exceptionally helpful to get down to the student's eye level and to maintain responsive eye contact with the student. Although if you've got a student um, who's on the spectrum, um, you know, don't force eye contact, but um, strive to maintain uh, a calm, quiet, attentive focus. Um, and respect personal space. Uh, don't cut closer than three feet and don't reach out to touch them. Yeah, I think that's really important. There's yeah. so many kids that I know that when they're triggered like that, they don't want somebody to put their arm around them or no. to no. Um, 
that 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 is that is the saber toothed tiger putting mm -hmm. his paw around my neck. Okay, right. we've got a kid who's not thinking. Their amygdala and hippocampus are under control. So the 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 next thing is to really do some deep, audible, slow, deep, audible breathing, hoping that they will follow. Now, don't give them the command. Remember, C is is command. Don't give them the command. Breathe deeply now. Um, just model deep breathing. And the initial responses should be responses that validate both their feelings and their reasons for their feelings. Or you may be in a situation where you need to inquire about the reasons for their feelings. And this is reflective listening. Reflective listening all the way. Now, I learned how to do reflective listening when I was at the University of Utah studying to be a teacher, and I became a member of a volunteer corps. Uh, no, I became a member of a, of a hotline where we responded to uh, other students who were in distress. And, and oh, so we all learned how to do reflective listening. Um, and that is exactly what needs to happen in these situations. I realize you're upset. You look, name the emotion. I think this might be because, name the reason, or can you help me understand what you're feeling and why? And then the, the process is to stay in reflective listening mode until they are feeling that they're being heard and can calm down and may take a little time or a long time but as long as for as long as you're staying in that reflective listening mode they are feeling heard and that's going to help them feel safe right i think one of the things too especially for school counselors is that this is usually why we're called into a classroom to come and deliver these exact things that you were just talking about, right? The, the model, the breathing to kind of get right. down at their level, to try to find the way to get the, the, the kiddo right. to just relax and to take those breaths and to use that reflective listening. Um, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm always However. in the mindset that, I should not be the first one called that the teacher is the one who has to really build that relationship first with that kid. Right. It's in their class. It's how they respond. And I think moving forward, what they do at that moment can definitely change things that happen the next time around. They, the classified aides are the ones who are out on the playground when a kid's becoming dysregulated or on a school bus. Well, they might not have sufficient time for a lot of reflective listening, but um, even, you know, every single staff person needs to understand how to handle an intervention with a child who's becoming dysregulated. And we've got to, we've got to help them all understand what's going on in this kid's brain so that they don't start yelling at the kid and creating greater stress, which is not going to calm this kid down. They, every single person in the school needs to understand how to do this. And then it would also be probably helpful for a lot of the parents to learn what's happening mm -hmm. and how to do this. So. Um, after the child has gotten to a point of calmness where they can engage, then I suggest offering some kind of a calming activity, um, a fidget toy, go to a calming spot, read a book, look at their computer. You know, they all have these little, um, um, laptop computers now. Would you like to watch a fun video on the computer? Um, and and then after they've had a chance to calm a little more, um, it would really be helpful if somebody could come and take them for a walk. Mm -hmm. Because what they've got is a buildup 
of cortisol and adrenaline, which is in their body, and it's going to prevent them from truly calming and relaxing until they can get rid of that. And physical activity is the best way to do that. Right. Now, Nancy, I have a question for you, because I can okay. just imagine if I said to my teachers, okay, it's great, you got to calm, you know, they're calming down now, let's give them a little activity to further like reduce their anxiety. <laughs> and if I was to say to them, offer up a video, ooh, I could just hear them giving me a little lecture of how could I reward them with a video when they were just so awful? Uh, yeah. Does, okay. Yeah. That is, how do you get around that? Yeah. Um, really good. And I'm going to have to, uh, absolutely. I need to incorporate that in the training. We, um, and this gets to the third, how do you respond? They did not intentionally misbehave. And we have to understand the difference between reactive triggering and intentional misbehavior. Now, if they have engaged in intentional misbehavior, we do not want to reward them. If they, but if they have reactively triggered, they didn't plan this. They have calmed down enough to be able to engage in this activity. Okay. And and I will discuss rewards, but they need to be able to do something more that will get them better relaxed. And and this is not a reward. This is a way to help them relax. And and then that needs to be also may need to be explained to the other students. You know, um, Johnny just was got really upset. And Johnny needs a little more time to get relaxed. And we want to have Johnny relaxed and 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 join us for the next activity, right? Don't you agree? And so this is a way, this isn't a reward. This is just a way to help Johnny uh, be able to relax a little better. Right. So Great. now, um, after they have calmed, is the time for some kind of a um, a an accountability process, okay? If they triggered and caused harm to someone, then they should have an obligation to remedy the harm. So if they triggered, and this is where, this is not punishment. This is a restorative practice. They are going to remedy the harm. So um, so we talk with them and say, hey, you know what? You kind of disrupted the whole class. Um, did you, do you think you kind of, now I, I know you didn't intend to do this. You reacted and triggered, but you did cause harm. So this is the important point. Even if they, not the intentional, if you intentionally cause harm, you absolutely have to remedy the harm. But even if something just happened and you caused harm, you have an obligation to remedy that harm. Now, I have a recommendation on a remedy that will also help this student recover relationships with the other classmates. And this okay. is um, number two in my Be Positively Powerful strategies is reach out to be kind. I also recommend this as a, a requirement for any student who's engaged in bullying and all of their hurtful supporters. If they have engaged in bullying, they should have uh, not only a required remedy of harm to any individual student they have harmed or staff member they have harmed, they have an obligation of remedy of harm to the school community. So the remedy of harm that I recommend is that they have an obligation to reach out to be kind to other students. And how would they go about doing that? Okay, then the next step is you talk to them. How could you be kind to somebody else in this class? What are the things you can do that would be 
kind to them. Could you pick up a pencil if their pencil has fallen? Could you tell them what a great job they did on that answer? So you go through a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of ways that this student can be kind. And, um, and then you place an obligation on them to, you could be you, uh, so for the next week, to remedy the harm to our class, I want you to be kind to five people every day. And at the end of the day, you keep, you pay attention to who you're kind to. At the end of the day, we'll talk about the five people who you were kind to, what you did, how that made them feel, and how it made you feel. Now, there's an important reason for this reach out to be kind consequence, remedy of harm. And that is that there is research that shows that if kids um, consistently reach out to be kind to others, this increases their peer acceptance. And the kids who typically trigger generally have very low peer acceptance. And sometimes it is the responses they get from other students that causes them to trigger. So if we can increase their peer acceptance, we will reduce the situations that are causing them to trigger. And a consistent practice of reaching out to be kind to others can do that. There's research that documents that. Is that fun and creative? Yeah, I know that at my school, um, and I'm just speaking from, from my experiences, like mm -hmm. we do the whole restitution type thing. We call it making amends. And in fact, mm -hmm. I just have been going into my kindergarten first grade classes um, this past week. And we have talking about what do we do if we hurt someone, whether maybe it was intentional or by accident, but what do we do? And so we talk about making amends and how we apologize. And then that next step to making an amends is more than just saying we're sorry. It's about doing something to back it up. And so I think going out and being kind to others is definitely a way to back that up. Yeah, it's ex exactly the same. However, from my perspective, not only is it if you have harmed an individual, you need to make amends. I call it remedy the harm, make amends, whatever. Um, you not only um, if, if you did something that also caused the disruption at school or caused other students to feel bad because they saw you treating somebody else bad, you have an obligation to make amends to your classroom, to your mm -hmm. community. And the way you do that is reaching out to be kind to others. And for teenagers, I also suggest the requirement that the reaching out to be kind to others is to others who are outside of your social group. Um, and in my book, Engage Students to Embrace Civility, the last chapter is how do you do an accountability process that incorporates all of the requirements under civil rights regulations for responding to serious or persistent hurtful situations, that is essentially an accountability restorative process where they um, are required. They are talked with until they get to the point where they are say, yeah, I did something that was wrong accept personal responsibility for their wrongdoing. And this is not only the student who was hurtful, but every single one of their supporters who were present or supporting this. So yeah, I did this. It was wrong. These are the steps that I will take to make amends to the person who I harmed. And then the school imposes another step of making amends or remedying the harm. And that is this obligation of reaching out to be kind to others for a period of time that the principal, whoever else is responding, decides may be necessary to get this student on a path of kindness instead of being hurtful to get attention. Right. So really the whole, I think, process is to really maybe start 
if this is something that you're going to do in your school is to really start with doing some training with your staff members of how to respond to that student um, to really understand how to escalate student behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, look at restorative approaches. Yeah. They right? don't need to be punished. They have triggered. Mm-hmm. They didn't intentionally engage in this behavior. Punishment is punishment is hurtful because what punishment does is it destroys trust. Right. Okay, so So let me talk um, a little bit about prevention. Okay, we've got some students who are known to trigger and become very disruptive. And so this is a prevention approach. At a time when the student is calm, discuss the concerns of the behavior that has occurred. Explain to them how their negative memories and their amygdala and hippocampus and their neural pathways work. I have successfully explained this to kindergartners. Um, This is in another program that I have where I use miniature donkeys for empowerment activities. And I was working with um, uh, elementary students, K2 and 3-5, and the counselor told me that she had kindergartners coming to her explaining how their brain worked and how they could not flip their lid. And the reason for donkeys is that donkeys are different from horses. Horses evolved on the plains, so if they get stressed, they go into flight. Donkeys evolved in rocky terrain, so they don't have a natural flight response. If they get concerned, if they don't feel safe, what they do is they stop stand tall and think things through. Mm. And so that's why donkeys. Anyway, so back to prevention. Um, If they, um, what, what you need to discuss with them is what are the things that commonly trigger them? What are those situations that, um, that happen where they get triggered? And Oh, by the way, make sure you consider what's happening around 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock because there are a whole heck of a lot of kids that trigger because they're hungry. Um, And they need to get a snack before they trigger. Um, They are, that's called hangry. Um, So um, my kids will tell you, I know all about being hangry. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Anyway. So, um, So understand what commonly triggers you so that if this happens, you know that you might trigger. And then know what steps you can take so that even if you have triggered, you're not going to get all upset. You're not going to flip your lid. You're going to trigger and then you're going to keep yourself and get yourself back to calm. Now, there are three things. uh, two or three at a younger age, I would only do two. Two things that they should immediately do and know that they should immediately do. And that is to take some deep breaths and to hold themselves tall. Now, um, I have kids practice feeling small and holding themselves tall. This is based on research by Amy Cuddy at the School of Business at Harvard. If you hold yourself tall, you feel more powerful, which means you're going to feel more safe. Right. In my school, we call it the superhero pose. Yep. So I will have them stand like superheroes. And it really, it works. Absolutely. And and I have a picture of a donkey. I'll have to see if I can send it to you. Where what they do is they hold themselves totally tall. And so you hold yourself tall. Um, The other example that's really great is the video from Frozen, Let It Go. Mm. At the beginning, she is crunched, crushed over, feeling totally helpless. And then midway through, she holds herself up and feels tall and proud and takes care of things. So anyway, those two things... um, at an older level, they could also think, I can't control what happens, but I can ha- control how I respond. 
Or if somebody's being hurtful to them, I'm not going to let that person cause me to lose my cool. They can do that, but I am going to be in control of how I feel about myself and how I respond. Okay. So then with the student, make a list of three to five actions they can take if they're feeling they're about to trigger. And these need to be actions that they can take without asking for permission. So I was in one classroom where the teacher had obviously helped a student know what to do when they were about to trigger. And the the students were lining up to go to music or lunch or something like that. And there was a, a tussle in the line and this student walked over to a corner, sat down and started breathing deeply to calm himself. That's, you know, that was phenomenal teaching um, that I could see had occurred because I saw that this student knew what to do. So, you know, have three to five things that they can do And for younger kids, you can even laminate this and put it on their desk. And so if they're starting to trigger, you say, hey, I see you're starting to get upset. Maybe you should use one of your calming strategies. What do you think you want to do? And have them point to what it is that they want to do. So what what we're trying to do is get them strategies that they have come up with. They agree. Um, would be really helpful for them if they start to feel triggered. Now, this isn't going to work the first time, maybe the second time, you know, maybe the third time it will work, maybe the fourth time it won't. So that's where the social emotional growth mindset comes in. They trigger, it doesn't work, they get become dysregulated again. That's where the intervention is, hey, it didn't work this time. Are there some things we can think about that might make it work better? Realize you're learning how to do this and you're not always going to be successful yet, but you're going to gain success. You will be able to do this. You just haven't been able to do it consistently yet. Got it? Okay. And then, of course, when they um, are able to pull this off, that's the time for celebration. Look, uh, you when you see the kid who starts to trigger, calms down again, boom, positive acknowledgement of what they were able to accomplish. Letter home to mom and dad or grandma or whoever they're living with. Um, yeah, today Johnny started to trigger and describe what the student did. Really great job. Um, and really reinforce that as a positive. Yeah, so, I think so many times we talk about growth mindset, but we don't really tie it into social-emotional learning. So I I love uh, how yeah, you put those two absolutely. together. Yeah, you look at everything on the growth mindset website, um, and and it's virtually all academic. We have to have, and, that, and I think the term, social emotional growth mindset and tying that to neuroplasticity okay this is how we are changing how we feel and how we behave um especially if we're feeling upset right you know i can see myself using so much of this because i know that in my school i go in and I teach my kids classes and I do teach them about the brain and flipping a lid. So my students know that terminology. They know that already. And like I said, this week, um, last week, we were talking about how to really make amends and what to do if, you know, you hit somebody or you, you know, you maybe you bumped into them by accident and how do you respond and how do you restore that? But we also talk about the why of emotions. Like, why do we have emotions? Our emotions have these jobs and trying to explain that to them. But I think I'm going to be incorporating this whole growth mindset, social emotional growth mindset into that as uh, 
for next year. We've yes. already covered that this year, but <laughs> I think I'm going to add that. So that's, that's pretty good. Cool. So, so here are, so we've got all of those, uh, well, some kids have those negative memories stored in their hippocampus. And I've seen research, you know, where I've seen people say so many times, because we focus on the bad and the bad gets stored. And I, you know, you have to have five goods to, to overcome every bad. I, I don't know what, well, I actually did find some original research that maybe, but anyway, um, there are some really effective strategies that we can use to help build greater empowerment and happiness. And that's what's in my book. Be positively powerful. And the resilient when things get tough is written at a level that fourth, fifth graders should be able to read it. But I had a good friend of mine who's a kindergarten teacher, and she says, I love this. I teach a lot of this stuff. I'm going to teach more. So, you know, um, this could be used as lessons. And, and it fully integrates in just what you're talking about. You've already taught. Right. So I have discovered seven have identified seven be positively powerful strategies. Okay. And all seven of these can be exceptionally helpful. So the first one is make positive connections. And that is making sure that young people have positive connections with trusting adults, with the trusted adults, and with good friends. And there are both ways that you can help them identify their trusted adults. And they need, especially as they become teenagers, they need some trusted adults who are outside of the family because the problem may be related to their relationships with parents as they are in process of pulling apart. Um, and they so they need a safe, trusted adult outside of the family to talk to about this. Good friends, there's just recent research that came out that said, um, the quality of our relationship with friends is, is fundamental to long-lasting happiness and good health. The second be positively powerful strategy is reach out to be kind. And I've already talked about the incredible benefits of kindness. Um, if we could get kids on a habit of reaching out to be kind once a day, five times a day, um, then our schools would be phenomenally happier places. Um, the third is use your strengths. And um, I have two components in this. This can be just what have you done that you're proud of. Also for, um, I, I really like the work of the VIA um, Institute on Character. They have identified 24 character strengths that are fundamental to good society throughout the world. And these are phenomenal. You could use them in informal um, um, social emotional learning. You focus on uh, a strength, a new strength uh, once a day or, new, or a, a, a one of these strengths for the entire week. Um, and they also have uh, surveys or assessments that teenagers and adults can complete to identify their strengths. And that actually would be a cool thing to do with school staff. Okay. What are your strengths? So um, Nancy, if you don't mind, I'm going to have you um, send me all these links so that yes, I can definitely I, I put them will, in all the show absolutely. notes. Absolutely. And awesome. then the second, the second component of use your strengths is the social emotional growth mindset. Realizing that failure means you tried and now you're able to figure out what's not going to work, and you haven't figured it out yet, but it will come. The fourth is focus on the good, and that is paying attention to the good things that are happening. This is gratitude, and there is research that demonstrates that um, focusing on the good um, and and feeling thankful will increase your happiness and well-being. Um, Hansen wrote a book, Hardwiring Happiness. If you focus every day on the good things that are happening, 
This creates neural pathways to support more good things happening. Um, the fifth is remain calm. And there are two components of that. One is the routine practice of meditation. And what that does is builds the neural pathways to remain calm. So we need to have um, the, the practice of meditation within schools. And my recommendation is that there be two ways that this occur. One is a period of calming, meditation, mindfulness. I think they came up with the term mindfulness because they thought meditation, the Eastern religion anyway. Mm -hmm. But a period of calming um, that is, is somewhat longer, but also a transitions calming. So whenever kids come into a classroom at the secondary level or back into the classroom from recess or lunch or music, there is just a moment that they take to breathe deeply and, and maybe just a minute. And I've got a happiness meditation that I recommend, okay. um, which is all focused on the be positively powerful. So take a minute to breathe. And now I want you to think about a really great connection, a good time that you just had with somebody or recently had with somebody. And let's take another breath. I want you to think about how you were kind to somebody today and, and, and remember the smile on your face when you were kind to them and how good it made you feel. And let's take another breath and think about something that you've done recently that you're really proud of that just made you feel so good that you were able to do this. And let's breathe again. And I want you to think about something that made you really happy. Maybe you saw a pink tree blooming today or maybe a daffodil on your way to school or maybe someone you really like said hi to you. What made you feel really good? Okay, I want you to sit tall in your seats and open your eyes and think to yourself, I've got it. I'm going to do great things. Okay, that incorporated most of my Be Positively Powerful strategies. That was strategy five. Strategy six is keep your personal power. And we already talked about that as holding yourself tall. So mm -hmm. there's two components to that also. One is holding yourself tall. It's your physical posture and remembering to hold yourself tall as you walk out of the room or come into a new situation. And the second is rational emotive therapy uh, or rational emotive thinking um, that you can't, you can't control what's going to happen to you. You can control how you respond and how you think of yourself. And then the last one is think things through. It's a problem-solving process, and that's the process that you use when you're talking with a child um, about how to not trigger and think things through as problem-solving. So that's what you do when you're working with a child who has um, be become disruptive, uh, has a history of becoming disruptive. You're going to say, okay, you know, what's the problem? Problem is you have a history of becoming disruptive. What's the solution or what's our goal? We want to find ways to support you so this doesn't happen. What are some strategies we can use? And what might happen if you use each of those strategies? Um, and, and, and then if you're just kind of trying to come up with a strategy for a situation, I suggested several strategies. Um, but then you can pick the best strategy. Um, and what you need to do is think about what might happen if you use each strategy and then based on the possible consequence, you pick the best one and figure out what you're going to do and how to implement that strategy and realize that that might not work yet, back to social emotional growth mindset, and 
what and that you're going to maybe need to go through this process again. So those are my seven be positively powerful strategies. I will give you a link to the chapter in my Engage Students to Embrace Civility, where I provide all of the research that is that underlie I'm a re- I'm a research grinch um I I really focus on on the research so and this issue is so important I put that chapter online so there'll be a link to it um and that contains the material that I'm going to put into online courses but counselors can see and um, how I'm how I'm discussing these things with those links. And so that's what I'm about. And those are my suggestions on how to avoid those tacos. Awesome. So this, I think, was really, really insightful. You gave us so much information. I know I'm going to have to go through this episode again and listen to it again. Um, and I hope our our people that are listening, our counselors that are listening, will do the same thing. That's the great thing about having a podcast is you yeah. can listen to it more than once. <laughs> but I, I think there's so many things that we can just use, like like just remembering, like our kids are just reacting to a lot of times the trauma that they've experienced, right? I think we need reminders from now and again because I think we get just so you know, thrown into the trenches day after day after day yeah. where we're working with kids. And sometimes we just feel so beat down um, yeah. or maybe we're not really, we're feeling not supported or we just run out of ideas. There, there's is, a found, yeah, there's a foundational yeah. problem that's involved. Yeah. Um, but this, I, it's the rules and punishment thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's just a good, a good reminder, but I also think, you know, hearing those tacos and what to avoid, I think that's really great. Um, You know, it's kind of sad that we have to think of tacos as not having the tacos versus, you know, because I really like tacos. I really do love tacos. (laughs) I don't know. You might need a new name for that or something because we Uh, want to eat the tacos. We want to consume them, (laughs) not avoid them. But here we definitely want to avoid those tacos. And um, it gives well, it's quirky. It gives, you know, I think it lends itself to having a lighter conversation with people and, and letting them know like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to really hone in on this restorative approach. And we're going to find ways to work together to really deescalate situations and have our kids understand how their brain works and how we can really create such a peaceful not only classroom environment, but school community as well. Yeah. And then hopefully greater community. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, uh, I listened to a presentation that was at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and was live cast. And um, a brilliant professor, his name I'm not going to remember, but he handles the um, Make Caring caring common um uh section at the graduate school of of education and they have a dynamite relationship mapping tool and he made the point that um those students who engage who in acts of service to others are happier yeah i think there's a lot of um, research that just goes into that too, that, that really supports that concept that people that are kind, that do show gratitude and appreciation and kindness towards other really do lead more fulfilling lives. Absolutely. Not only more Mm -hmm. fulfilling lives, but healthier lives. Um, uh, they live longer. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, so, well, Nancy, it is, um, it has been really wonderful talking with you 
today and I can't wait to put this all together. Um, I know that we have a couple little edits that we have to make because of <laughs> technology, you know, it was always a, a thing. But um, yeah, if you could send me the, all those links, I will make sure that I put them in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much You've for got sharing a deal. your... Yeah, I'm at a loss for words here. But thank you so much for sharing your stories and, and your advice and your knowledge with us. I really appreciate that. Well, I am thrilled to be one of your early podcastees. So <laughs> I um, wish you absolutely great luck with your new podcast activities. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to end this call. And so um, we'll, we'll chat again soon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so very much. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Counselor Chat. All of the links I talked about can be found in the show notes and at counselingessentials.org forward slash podcast. Be sure to hit follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And if you would be so kind to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Want to connect? Send me a DM on Facebook or Instagram at Counseling Essentials. Until next time, can't wait till we chat. Bye for now.